0: Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay, and you can find us on Facebook at the wonderful world of wine. Hello again, loyal listeners. This is the wonderful world of wine. I am your co-host, Kim Simone, with my friend and wine buddy, Mark Lindsay. How are you doing this week, Mark?
1: I'm good, Kim. Hello to you and to all our listeners again. Thank you for uh, joining us again today to talk wine with us or listening about wine. We appreciate it.
0: And as we do every week, we like to touch on some of the trending topics in the wine world, and that can be social or scientific or having to do with different products that are hitting the market. And the first one that we want to hit on today is sort of like, breaking news for something that we have been discussing a lot in the last couple of years, and that is tariffs on wine and how that is impacting um, not only us consumers here in the United States, but producers overseas in Europe. So this was uh, something that just hit the news, isn't it, Mark?
1: Yeah, breaking We need to find a little soundbite for the breaking news. We have two weeks in a row with some That'd be breaking great news, idea. right? But yes. I mean, this is breaking wine ding, ding, world ding. news.
0: Breaking news.
1: And we, the reason we have to talk about it again, Kim, is we've talked so many episodes where we've been keeping people updated. You know, the tariff went into effect and then it happened and then they're talking about taking it away. So let our listeners know what was the breaking news this week.
0: So the breaking news this week was that all of those 25% tariffs that have been levied against European wines, not every European country, but a number of countries, including France, Germany, Spain, have been repealed. So that is no longer something that we have to worry about as an added cost to wines that we here in the States will be purchasing or could be purchasing from uh, wine producers in those countries. And I know it's important to you, too, that this also applies to things from Scotland, like scotch, right?
1: Yep, scotch, things from Ireland you are also affected for for liquor and it also affected cheese and oils
0: oh right that's right because EU it's not well. just it's not just wine and it's not just alcohol related but all of these other sort of specialty products that when it comes to the labeling laws especially of places like France and Spain and Italy they kind of fall under a similar category. It's not just the quality of the wines, but the in uh, the products, but their personality is really tied to the place that they come from. So a lot of these things have similar rules because they're really treated as as somewhat similar items. So you know, olive oils from a very specific special place. Same thing for cheeses. Same thing for salamis, and you know, same thing for wines. So it's a it's a similar um, category and a similar problem that consumers over here were were having to deal with with some of these special products that some of us really, really love.
1: Yeah. The EU regulates wine and food. So this was a US versus EU issue that dated back since 2006, Cam, a long time. And it had to do with the Boeing Airbus issue that we talked about in in a past show that I still don't understand it, why it happened. And I really hate to talk about politics. Being a business owner, it's one thing I avoid talking about. Mm -hmm. But this was an interesting thing to me because you never really heard about it. I mean, it was a long issue. And then Trump put the tariff in place, but there really wasn't anything on either side politically. Was it good? Or was it bad? Like no one really talked about it, but the industry gathered er- together and said, you know, this is really bad. And and that was kind of the feedback I took now when Biden approached it. And it was really interesting story, Kim, how he handled this. And we talked mm-hmm. the last couple of shows that he was looking at it and we thought nothing's going to happen for a right. long time. We
0: didn't time. think we thought, you know, there are all of these other things that are going on right now that... While a lot of us in the, the wine industry feel like, you know, this is something that needs to be tackled right now. I think realistically, we really didn't think anything was going to happen because honestly, some things going on right now maybe are a little bit more important than wine tariffs. Yeah, <laughs> Honestly, like, I don't know, global pandemic and get every- getting everybody to get their COVID vaccination shots. But, but go ahead. I interrupted you.
1: No, no, but they still <laughs> work this in. And interesting that it was the first talk that Biden had with the EU president ever. And one of the things he took care of was making this a high priority and saying, let's let's take a four month away from this tariff and see what happens. And it all happened without having a U.S. trade representative even appointed yet. Mm-hmm. So I think her name's Catherine Tai or Tay or, or Tai. Or tai. Mm-hmm. He still hasn't been nominated and it still got done. So it was great to see action on that and the industry is just, you know, everybody's just all excited that we can do business again.
0: Right. And, you know, there was a little bit of a reciprocal nature in there, too, because there were also some tariffs that were being applied to some American goods overseas. And especially, I believe it was in England, but I am I'm not I might not be remembering correctly that there were tariffs against American whiskeys. So we were getting taxed for the scotch. They were getting taxed for the bourbon. So, you know, a lot of these things seem to then be like, OK, we'll remove this tariff for this and you can go ahead and remove that tariff for that and let's all kind of make this thing go away.
1: Yeah, a good thing. But now all the stuff is coming out. What's going to happen? You know, everything is pretty much ordered ahead of time. It's shipped over in container So they're saying now it looks like within the next four months, while this is off, people are really going to bulk up and send things and buy things and get them shipped over here Mm. while the tariff is not in effect. So I don't think it's going to affect seasonal things that have already been placed, like rosés are going to start Uh coming in now from France and and, uh, Spain and everything. I think that pricing is, I I mean, I've already prepaid for my stuff. So, and I think, they had a lot of good explanation of price points in effect, but I think in four months, people are really gonna buy, be buying and stocking up on the wholesaler and distributor side.
0: And I think that that hopefully, as we see more people being vaccinated for COVID, more businesses opening up, Hopefully a resurgence of the restaurant industry, that the timing will be just perfect for restaurants to gear themselves up again to start maximizing the room that they have in their restaurants, getting people in. So hopefully the, the timing will be really good for that and it will be beneficial for all those restaurants who are needing to stock up on their wine lists
1: again. Yeah, good push for them. And they gave some interesting numbers, Kim. Did you see how much the exports were down French wine down 20%, Mm -hmm. German wine was down 30%, and Spanish wine was down 12%. So they were hurting. I was surprised approach. it was only
0: down 20 for 20% for France honestly just knowing sort of the the buying stoppages that were happening across the industry of things that just got too expensive for certain categories of wine
1: yeah those are the numbers they gave who knows yeah. what the real we always see different numbers I, I like that they talked impact on price point and i didn't really understand they were saying so low end wines they were saying you probably see really no Mm-hmm. effect because a lot of the wholesalers or the importers said, we'll eat that cost for now and really maintain that low level price. And and I did see a bump up on the lower level. So I don't think any honestly good business person would have ate that 25% and as a loss. Maybe mm-hmm. the first things they had in stock they did.
0: Yeah. That's but, what it seemed to be. It was like just that initial hit. Yeah. What was that two years ago, maybe. um I,
1: I can't see them eating that all the time. Mm -hmm. But we'll see what happens. I'm happy it's it's off. And I never really think the average wine consumer saw any effects from it. It hurt the restaurant. Like you said, the restaurant industry was hurting. The wholesalers, the little importers were hurting. So hopefully we can get them some business back.
0: That's right. So it's positive news all around. And hopefully, like you said, we start seeing a little more going on with those uh, restaurant colleagues of ours. And hopefully this will be a help and and, uh, and a boom for their business as well.
1: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. We like any questions or comments on the show. You can find past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, Please go to her website, vinitaswineworks.com. If you like more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. So, next, Kim, we have an article to talk to our listeners about that was in uh, the swaddle.com, some sort of publication we found. And it talked about being allergic to alcohol and what you can do about it. And this is one of those articles, Kim, when you first saw it, I'm curious what you thought but I think there's these scare things out there. To me being allergic to alcohol is almost like the thing we talked about in the past being allergic to sulfites and it's a very very rare occurrence.
0: Right. Very rare but does still happen to some people. I have known a couple of people who are literally allergic to alcohol. It's different than just not being able to drink a lot of wine because, you know, you you get a hangover very easily or if you're one of those people that even with just one sip of wine your whole face gets red and and blushy and, you know, you turn different colors. This is like a, a true allergy. Like you have hives and you have trouble breathing. It's like if you're allergic to bees and you get stung by a bee. But like you said, you're very rare. But I actually think that it's, I think, good to talk about these things and know that they are out there because it can allow us the opportunity to differentiate it from those other reactions that people have. You know, we we hear time and time again of, oh, you know, I'm allergic to the sulfites. It's like, "Mm." but this gives us an opportunity to actually talk about a true allergy, even though it is quite a rare thing out there.
1: Yeah. So we have to You know, touch base the symptoms. You mentioned some of the reactions. They also said itchy eyes, something goes on with your mouth and your nose and your skin, Mm -hmm. and and dizziness, uh, vomiting, diarrhea. uh, There's a whole slew of things.
0: Allergy. There's a different body systems that can be affected when you're having are a real allergic reaction to something. So, you know, like I said before, the, the headaches and the sort of intestinal issues, but then there's also the, the swelling and the itchiness. You can get dizzy, feel like you're going to pass out. Having difficulty breathing, I think, is one that is very common when people are having very serious allergic reactions to things because that can actually, you know, keep you from being able to breathe. And that's one of the more uh, dangerous reactions. So there's all these systems, in your body that can be impacted in one way or another if you're having a a true allergic reaction to something. And this kind of reaction to alcohol is pretty immediate. You know, it's not something that two hours later you're like, oh, I'm feeling a little funny. No, no, no. This is like within a couple of minutes you're having this kind of a reaction. It's not a hangover.
1: (laughs) No. And hangovers, you know, hangovers suck, but they're a lot easier yeah. to deal with. <laughs> they said this can develop at any point in your life, too. So you could be have been consuming alcohol for years and then all of a sudden this condition can mm-hmm. kick in,
0: which is scary, isn't it? Yeah. Especially for those of us that, you know, this is what we do. this is our, you know,
1: our bread and butter, so to speak. And I believe we touched base before about something about enzymes in your in your liver, processing alcohol. Yep. So over time things can happen and your liver can not filter out these enzymes as well, correct? And that, that could lead to allergies. Is that kind of what you were getting from it? I think
0: that's more of the intolerance issue. So you can have an intolerance for alcohol or to or you have a reaction to a particular component within the beverage that you're drinking. And that is the problem where your body is not producing a particular type of enzyme for digestive purposes, or you can't process the alcohol very well. So you tend to have more severe and significant hangovers because your body isn't having an easy time processing out the alcohol. Well, or, let's talk about say, the
1: ingredients. Like, mm, Yeah,
0: we, that's what, what I was did, I was just going to go okay, there. Okay,
1: great. Yeah, let's do that. Let's start with the ingredients and specifically to wine that can cause... Allergies or- sure.
0: So I think one of the main ones that people are really just starting to realize is that because wine is made from a fruit, there are all of these compounds, most especially in the skins of grapes. That can cause people to have an allergic reaction, like just like you know, if you break out with hay fever in the springtime because of you know pollen or all these other things that are in the air because of all the trees, um, it's the same sort of a reaction that you might get to wine because of the the fruit that it's made out of. So there's an issue with it's a it's a histamine response. So your body is producing too much histamine. And that is why, you know, you might get a stuffy nose or you might get those itchy eyes, different from that life-threatening kind of allergic reaction, but you're still having a a reaction to to something that you're drinking. And I think that you find that much more commonly in wine than you do in, say, beer or spirits, something that's processed a little differently. So,
1: I have to ask him the article said allergic to alcohol. So, now you drink wine or you drink vodka. How do they specifically tell that it's the alcohol component and not the ingredient or the process or anything else? How can they, you think they can determine that?
0: I think it's because of the severity and the quickness with when it, when the reaction hits you. So, So, they'll tell
1: you just, don't drink. They won't say don't drink wine. Try no, vodka. no. They're don't not saying
0: it's yeah. They're saying it's all actually the alcohol. alcohol.
1: It. Anything, yeah. that has anything alcohol.
0: with alcohol, because it's the alcohol itself. It's not oh, it's the grapes or oh, it's the potatoes or oh, it's a gluten thing. If you're drinking beer,
1: that would be yeah. horrible. horrible.
0: So if any of you out there listening have, have a true allergy to alcohol and and you once upon a time enjoyed your beverages, I am truly, truly sorry that you have to go through that.
1: I just don't see how people can determine it's You know, you hear it all the time. People say, I can't drink red wine because it causes this, that, but I can drink white. So Mm -hmm. obviously that's not an alcoholic allergy, right? right? I just don't see, I'm wondering someone who has this, have they tried every type of alcoholic beverage? But you
0: know what? I bet there there are allergy tests for them. Like just like you can go to the allergist and get a test for, are you allergic to ragweed? Are you allergic to this? Are you allergic to that? They probably have a similar test for alcohol.
1: that would be interesting to find out. Mm. I, I have never honestly heard anyone having it, and the article just said, you know, just to avoid this. How can you avoid it? Don't drink. drink. Yeah. So I think
0: but... I've known one person with a, a true alcohol allergy.
1: What about other? We talked we we talked about you know histamines and what other things you think people should be aware of for wine specifically that could cause an issue.
0: Well, I mean, you know, we do talk about additives that go into wine. And with the labeling being a little fuzzy, you know, you don't necessarily know if there is something added to your wine, maybe a a coloring ingredient, or even if there's, you know, a particular type of grape that maybe you have more of a sensitivity to. But, you know, I think it's a little bit difficult when you don't necessarily know every processing agent that's going into your wine to tell what it is that you're having a reaction
1: to. And this article, Kim, mentioned digestive issues for, you know, you hear a lot lately, the celiac z- disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of questions I get asked are, is this gluten-free? Is this product, is this beverage right. gluten-free? And in wine, I was only told that the only way glutens could get into a wine is if they added some sort of wheat paste to a barrel, the wine right. yep. is in I the think barrel. we've
0: probably heard similar answers to that question. Yeah. yeah. I heard can't any think other of, ways? No, I can't think of any any way that a wheat or a gluten containing product would get into wine i just i can't think of anywhere along the processing or the production route that anything like that could be introduced except for you know human error eating a sandwich over a t- over a vat of wine <laughs> or something yeah but no i can't think of you know anything with the bottling or anything with aging or any other part of the process that would introduce a gluten product to wine.
1: I didn't miss it, right? The only thing they said, because the the article did say what you can do about this, there was only one solution, right?
0: And that's stay away from the alcohol. Stay away
1: from alcohol.
0: Yeah. I don't think they have allergy shots for alcohol. Hay fever, yes. (laughs) Alcohol, no. listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we're your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find more information about Mark at franklinlickers.com, his website, and more information about myself at vinitaswineworks.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. This week, we're touching on some topics that are currently trending in the wine world and kind of jumping categories. We talked a little bit about current events and we talked a little bit about science. And now we're going to move over to more the, I would say, aesthetic understanding of wine and how certain tastes or flavors in wines can be considered positive attributes and other things may be considered negative. Uh, there's an article that we got in uh, an old favorite of ours, Wine Searcher, which incidentally is where our current event article from the beginning of this show was taken from. And this one is about flaws or faults in wine. And are they there as a positive thing to bring personality to a wine or is a faulty wine, like a problem with your wine, actually something to be avoided? So I thought this was an article, Mark, that was a lot more sort of philosophically in depth than I was really expecting. I was thinking I was just going to be reading an article about cork taint and some wines that maybe don't smell right. But this, there was a lot of, I think, thought that people put into their comments for this uh, topic.
1: It starts out saying, you know, there are flaws in wine out there and there's a lot of geeky stuff to, to know about. Yeah, this was a totally and geeky article. How could you compare that to, you know, how can you say any wine is a perfect wine? If, in fact, there is a flaw in it, but you like that Mm -hmm. flavor in your wine. So and we say this all the time, Kim, what you like and what I like, someone else might hate it. And to me, this brought home to me was that I had a wine shown to me one time that had a flaw. And I said to the person, this wine to me tastes like it has an issue. And the comment I got back was, yeah, but the person before you loved it and just bought a ton of it. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, you know, it makes you kind of wonder about your palate when you're tasting wines. Mm-hmm. When someone says to, to you, it's a good wine, you're like, mm, not my style or it has a problem, but I'm not going to tell that person. So they did mention a few big flaws out there and why some people would like them and wouldn't like them. And my whole thing about this Ico so is all about threshold. You know, you can detect things may be better on your palate than I can. And it might be a flaw that you're picking up that I never pick up. So it was interesting.
0: You, so you, you thought the threshold issue was more of a the big topic than the I, objective, subjective viewing of flaws? like It's all
1: subjective, correct? Well, uh, but that
0: was one of the points but, of the article is yeah, that some people were yeah. saying, no, it's not subjective. It's objective, too. Like, yeah. It,
1: I just feel they approached the acidities of wine and said, you know, at this level it's normal. But the people, the threshold that people could detect is so small mm-hmm. that you might detect it. It's almost like you, you were saying about when a wine is corked or has right a cork taint to it. Mm-hmm. The threshold as you keep tasting, my threshold keeps lowering. So I could give you know an average wine consumer a cork tainted wine and they never taste it because they probably never experienced before and they right. just because they wouldn't the know wine. they
0: wouldn't even know what they're referencing. Right. So if they've never experienced before,
1: how can you you point it out? Off, right. And I think that's a lot of the gist of this is that Mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of flaws in wines out there, but if you've never experienced it or tasted it, you might think that's the wine and how it's supposed to be, which is bad for the wine world. You're tasting it an off bottle or a, a variant in a wine.
0: That's where I thought you were going with the comment from your um, sales rep that one time where, you know, you pointed out that you felt there was an issue. I thought where you were going to go with that story was that their response was going to be, oh, but this is what the winemaker wanted. You know, this was the intention of the wine, not just like, hey, old Joe Schmo down the street just bought a pallet because yeah. he thought it was delicious. Like I, that, a lot of this article was wrapped up in, well, maybe there's something funky going on with the wine, but... That's the way it's supposed to be, you know, right, and right. it's kind of this argument between wine maker intention or on the opposite side, sort of winemaker doing something that doesn't produce this super clean, super consistent product. Or is this a product of, you know, too many sommeliers and wine buyers in big places who are spending all their time trying to put words to these things and trying to figure out no this is more perfect than this or this is a a problem and this is not a problem. I'm glad
1: you mentioned funky wines.
0: Funky because there are a lot of funky wines out there.
1: That's a thing out there trending is you know natural or clean and then on the other side you have funky or, which to me is natural, or it's a wine. And then it gets where, confusing
0: because a lot of quote unquote natural wines taste pretty funky.
1: Right. Well, and that's the style. And it's made so every bottle you open probably has a different mm-hmm. flavor or profile than the other bottle. And that's the way the winemaker is making it. Right. So your clean and my clean and your funky and my funky is two different, you know, it's different things. So this article just opened up. The world to say, you know, there's really no perfect wine out there because you might not think it's perfect because of something. It might be a flaw. Or it might just be the way the winemaker is doing it,
0: right? And that they don't consider it a flaw; they consider it the personality of the wine. The beginning of this article made me think of like, oh, they're approaching wine as individuals or like people. It's like none of us are perfect. We all have our flaws, but that doesn't mean that we're any less because of it. And so, it made me kind of tilt my head a little bit and be like okay so if we were to approach winemaking way like these are all individuals that we're talking about you know each bottle of wine is their own individual person and you know they might have some flaws to them but that's how they're supposed to be and that's who they are
1: right and if you say something about someone's wine you you, I mean they, they take it personal if it's not your style, or if, if they might like that little flair they're putting into the wine, I and just I think-, think it's it's bad for the consumer. If you do f- discover a wine that has a flaw, technical flaw, and you drink it for the first time, and you think that is what the wine is supposed to be, right? It gives that wine or that brand a very bad reputation. You probably won't ever buy it again. Mm-hmm. And that's happened to me. I've done that where I've tried a certain wine line and maybe two out of the three I've had, had a flaw. And wow. the next time it's brought to me, I'll say, you know what? Do you remember the last time we had this? I didn't like it because I thought this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, then I taste it again. It's the same thing on my palate. So I'm like, you know what? It, to me, it's not consistent and I can't promote that. I can't back it.
0: So would you consider, so because it tasted you that you felt it had the same flaws, even with new batches and new vintages or new, you know, new bottles and new batches. Is that to you, that's a flaw, but is that what the wine company is trying may, to do?
1: Maybe, but it's, pro- it's something I don't want a customer to say it's flawed. If I had another bottle that tastes totally different, it's not consistent to me.
0: So consistency and, for you is
1: important. Yeah, oh yeah. And on that note, I, I wrote down, I had to ask you, do you think that big producers or mass produce wines ever release anything with a technical flaw technically flawed like an acidity problem or i'm
0: sure some things get through but I would think that they are trying to go for as consistent as possible. You know, every bottle of apothic red that you open up should taste like every other bottle of apothic red that you're popping open.
1: Exactly. Every vintage, every time it tastes exactly the same. And I I say this to you all the time, but I was thinking to myself, all these different flaws you find to me in all of my wine career have been with smaller production wines. I've never had a mass-produced, corked bottle of apothic hmm. it's always tasted the same and i'm, I'm wondering if it's because of the process is different
0: i've i remember there was one instance that i remember from a big producer that was doing like a really inexpensive bottle you know it was like a two for eight or a two for ten that we had in the in the wine bins and something happened with the batch it was a red wine and it was starting to re-ferment in the bottle yeah. So when yeah, every, I, when you opened a bottle of it, it was a little bubbly and funky and obviously not right. And yeah. this was not something that was like only a 2000 case production thing. Like this was a big production.
1: It's but rare. that it's is a flaw. In yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. And it's really it,
0: That is a big issue. That's a like recall the whole lot and destroy the whole thing because this is undrinkable wine. So I don't think that we see that very often with those big producers just because they go through so many steps of making sure that what's going into the bottle is clean from a chemical standpoint. There's all sorts of tests and all sorts of lab work and stuff that goes on with those. But, you know, for a smaller producer who's, I don't know, making... Not a lot of wine in, say, Beaujolais or Fuisse or someplace that, you know, they're not doing that. So they're relying on the wine to be what they expect it to be. But I also think that those folks are a little more willing to embrace those disparities from one bottle to another. So if one is a little different from another one, I I don't think that necessarily those small producers feel that that's a problem. And some actually go after that difference from bottle to bottle. Like There are some funky producers in Italy that what is bottled is bottled and the variation between them can be
1: very great. Right. And it's a good point with small producers. They take what the vintage, they're farmers, they take what's given to them every year. So the product usually, it's different. It's different blended. It's, it's different things every year. But if they discover a flaw and it's not a major flaw, Chances are that small producer is still going to put the product out because that is their income for the year. Right. That's the way I I look at that as yeah. well. They accept it. They know, they figure you understand, yeah, it's not the same as the last vintage. This is the difference. I had to use more Berlot or I picked earlier or whatever, but you know why it, they're going to tell you why it's probably different than the past vintage. Whereas the big, big, big guys, it's the same every year. It's consistently the same. So, right. I mean, there was a lot of geeky. We could have talked a long time in this article about all the the, you know, the mousy, the cork taint, the, the volatile acidity. Yeah,
0: the- I wanted to talk to you about mousy because I can't wrap my brain around that. That is such a new term. like, And, and I could not point my finger at an example of oh this wine smells mousy i don't even know all i can think of is like a guinea pig cage (laughs) yeah but i don't think that that's what it's supposed to be describing the article said it's like peanutty
1: like yeah a flaw that they said you can't really smell it you can taste it taste i'm it. thinking the opposite i figured you could smell it like you know a mouse cage or yeah the, you know the the lining of the mouse cage or something but i mean that's something it's something you don't hear about often a lot of times i would probably say that is an earthy ness okay. to the wine yeah i
0: need earthiness. i need someone to to point me point that out to me the next time i have it i had a wine the other night that maybe had some of that because when they said peanutty i'm like oh I had something that had like a a weird, like nutty flavor, like 10 seconds after I swallowed it, then there was this flavor at the end. So maybe that's what they're talking about. But see, folks, even those of us that have been doing this a really long time, there's always new stuff that comes up and you know there's always things to learn. So <laughs> I thought this one was was fascinating.
1: Yeah. It I mean. The more we taste, the more you, you hear of these things and you're trying to figure out what the heck it is. So I'm sure at one time, Kim, we've tasted it in a wine and just couldn't identify just, it. Maybe, yeah, didn't, have, know, a, didn't never have a word
0: it. for it. Yep.
1: So, uh, But a lot of good information in, in here in this article. I thought I mean, we kept out the geeky, a lot of the geeky stuff.
0: But <laughs> Even though we love our geeky wine stuff.
1: Thank you for listening to the wonderful world of wine today. We've been your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. You can find us here every week on WFPR 102.9 FM, and you can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Cheers.